Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Today's story is really inspirational. I, you know, I think Sammy's had such a journey, you know, from flipping burgers to flipping multi, multi-million pound properties. I mean, that's the great title for his book, right? But we talk about legacy, we talk about his faith, we talk about what drives him and actually his his whole journey from before property, which was really interesting. So we spoke about that for, you know, a, a bit longer than normal. He works in a niche, which is actually working with religious organizations to find places of worship, D1 and D2 use classes. Now, this is something that, you know, we have never, ever spoken about on here. And in fact, the other things he does with his development arm of his business, you know, he has closed over 70 million worth of transactions with religious organizations. If we look at the other side, you know, the stuff he's done and what he's created is so different. And he sees value where others don't see value. And he sees opportunities that others don't see. Now, of course, this comes with experience. This comes with time. This comes with having a great team around you. But we talk through all of these things. And so I hope this helps you find your niche and look for things that other people are just not seeing, especially in this market. Now, you may know people this Friday. My book is being released. Uh, hopefully you've seen it. Maybe you've had some of my Facebook ads, you know, retargeting you. But it is out this Friday. It's called Behind the Bricks. And it is a curated collection of knowledge, insight and experience from the UK property industry. Think Tim Ferriss, Tribes of Mentors, Tools of Titans, but for property. It's over 320 pages long. Now, this is a heavy ass, big ass book. It is absolutely rampacked with knowledge. I cannot believe I'm selling it for only £15. You know what? I'm, I'm going to increase the price a few weeks after sale because when you get your hands on this, there's 43 different property investors in here, right? Who have written pages and pages, you know? Um, if we look at some of the figures achieved by people in the book, I mean, you know, 7,000 properties plus transacted, 70 million plus in portfolio value, tens of millions of pounds of investor finance raised and over 300 years combined experience hmm get it amazon this friday sammy welcome to the Ted talks podcast thank you ted thank you for having me you know this is a going to be a, quite a different podcast in terms of what you've done and what you do because it is very it's just very unique and it's quite a niche. Now, I know property has, you know, hundreds of strategies and different ways of doing it and all sorts of stuff, but I've never had anyone on who does what you do. And I think your story in itself, uh, you know, I was having a look at your, your bio earlier is very inspirational kind of, you know, starting where you did to kind of where you are now. You know, I think people are really going to be inspired by that. So you know, before we get into the unique niche that you're doing in property now and you, you have been doing, what were you doing before property? Uh, my journey, I'll probably go back to the start of my journey. I came to the UK at a very young age, staying at my college. My first job was working in McDonald's. From McDonald's, I went on to work as a security guard. Uh, from there, I went into the journey of starting my own business, selling cars. And uh, from selling cars, I went into doing, doing some business in Nigeria, in Africa, and shortly between the UK and Nigeria. 
and then I went into property. So that's really been my journey. And, you know, that kind of, I think you're being very humble with your kind of explanation there because, you know, you're doing multi, multi million pound deals at the moment, but obviously that's not kind of how you started. So, you know, talk me through like the transition from the other jobs you were working to then having your own business and it being in property. Like what was that transition? All right. Firstly, for me, there's something that I, I represent and uh, fate has been one part of my life that has helped me to my journey in life. And I remember starting my my first job in the UK, uh, working in McDonald's. I knew that this was never going to be my story. This was just going to be the transition into where I was going, where I was going in life. And uh, looking back at the, the foundation of this was going into McDonald's every day and trying to see what can I do different even after leaving McDonald's? What's that thing that I can learn from? A lot of people that probably work in McDonald's have been successful will tell you there's that spirit around you when you go to McDonald's that you just want to do really well and you just aim to see that I'm going to change that narrative of my story. And for me, I started understanding the story of McDonald's where a lot of people don't understand that McDonald's is not just around burgers not around fast food mcdonald's is more about real estate and i started understanding the process of the franchise and different stuff and i knew that i was gonna go into poverty wherever way this is gonna be my purpose but am i gonna get into that journey i didn't have money i didn't have anything a lot of stuff people were saying to me just didn't make sense uh in time of getting to the property ladder but i started educating myself leaving mcdonald's uh getting a job while I was in uni, as a security officer in Nightbridge, I remember really well, there's this guy that had a lot of properties where I was working as a security guard. And I used to ask him about, how do you guys do this? How do you guys own so much properties? And what's the secret around this? And he, he told me about a book I should go read, which is which is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was my first book that changed the story for me. And I started repurposing, I was thinking that, from what I, when I left the security job and finding my way into, I went into IT. Yeah, I remember when I went into IT, I did a little bit of stuff. Then there was like Java, Cisco, and IT stuff. So I was trying to just see how can I save a lot to get into property? How can I do this? And I went into, uh, I took an IT role in uh, was St. John's Wood. Uh, it was a little bit of networking. It was a little bit of, uh, it, was, it was just a crash course. And uh, that then helped me to start saving up a lot a little bit then went into what happened afterwards yeah got money from there started selling cars i was going to auction outside london i was bringing in cars from outside london to london wow now i'm going back to maryland so i was going back to i was going out to london to pay cars from auctions and what i saw was there's a massive market in london and i'm talking about when people couldn't tax the cars when people couldn't there was there was no database for car insurance with the police then so people couldn't couldn't have insurance and tax their cars so i had a friend of mine that was working in the post office and i could easily tax the car for them and then i'll put a tax on the car sell on the car for more profit and i said building that i was able in a month i could sell about 10 15 cars and that literally gave me a little bit of capital for me to then go into my other businesses then went into property Wow. And so, you know, throughout this journey, I'm seeing you one spot opportunities that maybe others are not spotting, but two, 
doing something that a lot of people are not doing and that's having this kind of unwavering ambition and belief that you know this is part of the story but this isn't the story and I mean like where do you think that comes from because I think a lot of people working in any job you know whether they like it or not can get really bogged down they can lose motivation they get a salary coming in oh well you know it, it pays the bills like what kept you what pushed you so much to eventually you know get into property and operate as you do now at such a high level what was it I did mention to you uh, earlier about one big factor of my life is my fate and that represents so much for me and I, I really understand from a very young age about fate uh and he says something about fate is the evidence of things not seen you can't see this you just believe you can achieve it and one particular word that stood out for me my journey was one of my favorite words it says as a man thinker than his heart so is it and i had to change that mindset for me to believe that i can do this and there's also a factor, which is all, all you probably have interviewed a lot of people. There's that there's that Nigerian factor where we're very res- we're very resilient, and we know that whatever the case is, I can do, or I can succeed. So I just had that determination around me to know that whatever the case is, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to change this story around a young boy coming from Lagos and just trying to see that I can succeed in the UK. So success was always part of that story in whatever thing I was doing. And going back also on my journey, I think I probably picked this from my mom when I was probably, when I left uh, secondary school, I had my first job working for her. She had that back in Nigeria, we didn't have access to telephones. So we had one of the first business center and I, I was opportunity to work for her in the business center. And I was able to learn so much from my mom. I think I got that entrepreneurial skill from there, knowing that this is this is going to be my story. I'm, I'm going to be a businessman. I'm going to try and find my way around the business world. And then coming to the UK gave me a better platform for me to do well. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, it just shows the influence that our parents can have on us. And yeah, what an experience to have at such a young age to kind of combine with your mindset and your resilience and your, you know, your background, your upbringing to, to do what you're doing. So, you know, when you, you know, you'd passed these jobs, you'd saved up enough money for property. When people get into property, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many strategies, there's so many approaches, there's so many like, you know, golden bullets, different ways to do things, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, what did you start with? And how did you know that that's what you wanted to start with? I. Uh... I was able to see something different when I, I think was my first property that I bought. And this was in the days where, uh, before the recession, where you could easily buy stuff off plan. And a very, one of my mentors, uh, who, who happens to be one of my uncles, taught me about off plan properties, off plan market. And then Barrett just started building. There was, there was this massive boom. And I was able to see the opportunity of, Wow, we could easily just buy off plan without even having deposit, without having signed stuff. There was so many incentives. And I was able to get into that from the off plan market, buying and reselling from that. And that was the beginning of my property journey. But what I saw was that I saw a unique opportunity. And I would say this to people that in your journey with property, there's always something unique you'll find. It's just you being able to be ready to see. What's that thing? What's that different? What's that thing that will be unique about me? 
and that was that was the way I, I, I kind of I got myself into property. And you know, you said kind of before the recession. So obviously, you were buying and selling these off-plan new builds. I should know a few. I've spoken to a few people who've done this. What happened then? Sort of when the recession hit, were you still doing this, or had your strategy changed at that point? So the recession came, and that was that that took a massive hit for most people that were in uh, in residential property. I knew that it might not be. I, I have to either change my strategy, and then I was still doing my. I was still doing back and forth different businesses. I was still into selling my cars and doing like I'd, I set up a communication. Uh, firm in, in Nigeria where we had the new, uh, president then and he just had the license for telecommunications. So I, I was buying mobile phones at the same time as well from, from the UK and I was sending back to Nigeria. So I had, I still had the business going on then. So the recession came. I was able to not really concentrate into that because I was doing that with my brother. So I, I was, I still had that business going on in Nigeria where I was, uh, I still, Literally, what I had was I had I probably say part time I probably in part time with my uh, my business in Lagos, and from there, when everything just came, it was just a big hit for me because I just couldn't get myself around. What's, what's the next big stuff? And that was where I birthed my new business, which is called Real Property, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, in yeah, we're going to be talking about that shortly. Mm, okay, and then you know, yeah. So let, let's get into that then. So. With your property company you formed then, what was different this time? You know, because obviously there's a there's a trend here of you spotting opportunities and, and finding niches. When you started it, did you have a niche in mind? When I when I started, are you talking about the my residential or commercial properties? When you started Rare Wealth Properties. Oh yeah. So when I started, it was there was a massive. It was crazy because I I, leached, I was I was thinking. Things weren't working as I wanted it to work. It was a, a, a point in my life where I was thinking of, should I start property development back, going back to Africa and doing stuff in Africa, just got married. And I, I just really wasn't too sure of what I needed to do. And I took time out. Something that's very, very important in life as, as a business person, I say to everyone is always take time to go reflect. And that was the time I, I went away for a couple of days and I just want to reflect it was like a sober reflection of my life and my journey. And I, I, I was, I sat down, it was a personal retreat. I call it a retreat. Uh, and I was thinking through what's the next thing I need to do? What's that? What's something that I'm going to reinvent again? I'll be different. And that was where the inspiration of robot came into place. And I saw a massive opportunity and the opportunity was within the faith community and because I'm part of a faith community, there was a gap that most people in the most people dealing with uh, within that faith community were people that didn't understand one faith, the language of most of the pastors, most of the churches. The churches have a simple language of faith and believing that God is going to make this happen. Most of my English colleagues or contemporaries don't understand. Hey, are you going to get this? Where's the proof of fund? Where's this? Where's that? And I saw that gap. And I, I went into that that market of the D1 where you have a lot of faith group looking for place of worship. They have a massive demand, but there was less supply. So from there, I was able to, I got about three clients and the pastors believed in me because I was sharing my journey that this is what I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting. I'm going to be helping churches in this area. 
I went out speaking to banks because banks still they still struggle understanding uh, the church uh, the concept of a church in terms of how the church operate the operational side of churches, and I was able to come up with a very simple solution of this is what those guys need. They need spaces. How can I find them spaces? How can I see that? I start to look out for commercial spaces that we can turn into a place of worship because with churches, they probably need a minimum of about 300 to 500 seater uh, auditorium. So I was looking to warehouses uh, that we can convert into place of worship, looking at bingo buildings, we convert into place of worship, looking at court buildings. I was the first person to convert a court building into a church. So I started bringing out different creative uh, solutions and people just started calling me like, oh, we heard about this. You, you did this for that church. You did this for that organization. Can you help us? From about three churches, we're able to, to, to grow into about 3,000 faith organizations within a period of time we started. And that was, that was how I went into that niche market. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a guest on who's done places of worship. So, you know, and I've never met anyone and I've met a lot of people. So this is definitely very niche i mean you know was it the case that before you started doing this you know no one was really doing this you know faith groups were trying to work with agents who didn't understand them and it was a bit of a sort of miscommunication you know did you come in and really were you sort of the first to do this uh i i wouldn't say i was the first but what i was able to do that was different was understanding the need of the churches and then educating them around what they need to put in place. So it was more of finding a bespoke service. So some were doing it, giving about, say they had a building, they probably would take about 30 different clients there. But I, a, I came up with a bespoke service, which is tailored around a particular faith group. So if you're my client, I would only find, I would only look for a building for that client. If, you are, if you're coming with a different need, I would then find you another building. So I wouldn't have to take the same, I wouldn't have to take about 20, 30 of my clients to the same building. So, because there will be that conflict of interest. So I came up with something different. If, say for example, you've got Ted Faith Group or Ted uh, Temple, wherever, I would only find Ted Temple one building. So it was a bespoke service to that one organization. So people just liked it that the problem they had before was if there's a building, they probably have about 30 or 40 other organizations coming to look at the same building. So there was that conflict of interest because 40 people went in the same building. So I was able to see that if you want, if you're my client, I would only work in your interest. If you don't want that building, we can sell to another client. Mm, so it was a kind of bespoke consulting service where you'd help everyone involved understand each other's needs find the place get them in there okay i like that and I'm, i assume they obviously like that as well um you know when it comes to you know kind of d1 buildings you know was it challenging in terms of you know was there a lot of competition i know you said there's three thousand you know clients you've got but is there a lot of competition in this space and you know when you were starting out did you find yourself always coming up against other people or other groups that weren't working with you? And was it sort of harder to secure deals or was it easier because it wasn't as discovered yet? Even as I still speak, it's a market that's still very, uh, that I publish on top market because what you have is there's a massive demand. Faith is big in every community, 
in either your India, either your Somalia, either you're from uh, wherever country you're from, you probably have that part of your culture, which is faith. And every organization, not just uh, every faith group, churches, uh, mosques, Hindu temples, Sikh temple, always have a need for this building. So what you have in the UK, there is less supply. The government has not really helped because they haven't adapted policies in place to help faith group. If you probably think around the UK, growing up for someone like you in the UK, you'd see every area as a as a church. That mm. was the policy back in those days. That's why you see a lot of Church of England buildings because in that policy, the policies were there to create a community centre, a faith group for the community. But what has happened is that's been taken out from a lot of the planning policies. So when you then have uh, organisations coming into an area, especially when you when you have a generation of gentrification, what you see is these people still have a need to communicate together as a community because place of worship is a community space. Either you are uh, wherever, believe, wherever faith group, it's a community feel where they meet together, they worship together, they pray together, they come as a community. So what you have currently is there's a massive lack of those buildings. So we, we then have to start improvising and using what I call adaptive reuse of all the buildings. So that's what I mentioned to you about the likes of bingo buildings, seeing that we could convert bingo buildings into places of worship, converting places like uh, cinemas. Yeah, I've done quite a number of cinemas. Cinemas into place of worship. So it's every area you go to, you'll see there's a massive demand for this building. So there's still massive demand, but we have less supply of these buildings. I see. And um, you've closed in over excess of 70 million worth of these D1 and D2 deals. Now, that is a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to doing these deals, are you sort of doing, are you taking it from start to finish in the sense that when they've purchased it, um, are you then also doing the refurbishment for them and kitting it out and doing everything? That's correct. So we'll make sure, when I find a, a that's what I said to you about bespoke service, we make sure, we look at your need, how can we, and that's one of the things I, I don't know if I said it. My thing or my philosophy is find a need, meet a need, and money will come. All to the services we've rendered, coming from finding a building, we make sure we help them in refurbishing as well. Because a lot of time, most of these uh, organizations are not serving this area. So I have a team, and that was from that I was able to transition into my development as well, bringing my my team that we normally use for most of the refurbishment into my development arm of my business. So for the church, we're able to, or even wherever faith group, we're able to also sell them the refurbishment package of helping them refurbish the building. Uh, I remember when we had a court building that we had to turn into uh, a church. People never saw that. Imagine going to a courtroom. There's so many <laughs> court, like they're very small. But I went in with my team, my architect, my planners. What can we do? Can we knock this out? Look at the structure. Of what, what can we take out? What can we leave? And we're able to see that we can open up the entire space, then even create a gallery. And for that process, we're able to help the church through that process. So we do all of that in time of refurbishment, in time of buying. We just don't leave you. We'll make sure we kind of carry you through the entire process if we want us to do that for you. Wow. And, you know, 
So, you know, you mentioned then your development arm. So that development arm, I believe, has sourced, acquired and built 200 million pounds worth of properties. Now, that's another big number. So we definitely need to speak about this. So, you know, obviously you're doing the D1, D2 stuff. You're having this bespoke service. What made you, because obviously that's doing really well and it's very niche and you're, you know, the guy to go to now for that. What made you then, you know, want to do developments and what kind of developments have you done and are doing? So for me, I, I know that the uh, D1, which is what we call now, is no longer D1, it's F1, the new uh, uh, use that, that, that's changed. We, I was able to start from that uh, particular market, and I know we're going to transition from there into other stuff. So from there, I knew it was a start for me because that was something that I was able to meet the need. I've always had in my mind that I would be a real estate developer. And also from the angle of not just real estate developer, I'm very big on legacy and ownership. And I think the only way we can change that narrative, especially within my community, is understanding that. And I knew I needed to make sure I transition from this into the next phase. And for four of us, it was, that was the start for me. Then we didn't know we we're going into development. So the start was the consultancy side for the bespoke service for Faith Group, then we went into development. And also what I was able to bring into place within my development is the opportunity of most organizations that we buy buildings for. They've got massive land. And I know that I don't need to start spending five, 10 million pounds or 20 million buying a land, finding a site in London to build. If I'm able to find them a building, I can still develop the land around the building. I can still develop even the, the if, if you have a church, for example, I can still develop the, uh, I can still build on top of the current buildings. So I, I always make sure wherever building we're finding, there's, there's, a, there's a value we can also add in the future. For example, one of our development today that we've got in planning is a 43 residential uh, development in South London where we were part of the, uh, the purchase of the church. And we then, there's a car park, which we're then developing a car park into residential, into for the free, uh, for the free residential commercial apartment. But the car park is, we're replacing the car park on the ground floor. So we've been able to add value to that church because what they have is also, they have the residential, they have the church, they still have the car park. So they have enough to still make provision for the, for, for the church in the future and still see that it's a win-win situation for us and also for the church. So it's always creating something unique. We're very, uh, we have a, a very, a very simple, uh, innovative solution to seeing that we can find opportunities. So I don't need to go spend millions like every other developers would be trying to find a site because we see opportunities around what we've created. Mm, I like that. And, you know, how are you, because obviously with the D2, one, D2, D1, D2 stuff, you know, it's kind of consultative. They're coming in, they're buying it, and they're paying you your fees. With the development stuff, obviously, you know, it has to be paid for in terms of to build it. How were you, how are you funding all of these um, acquisitions and, and buildings? So, like I gave an example of a D1, for example, when we saw the opportunity, we... Every D1 opportunity we have, a D2 or whatever use class, 
you would always have a developer trying to buy the same building because those buildings can be repurposed into residential. A lot of old church buildings, old church of England buildings have been turned into residential, like you know, a lot of uh, a lot of those buildings are turned into residential. So what I what I was able to pick was why don't we get in on the building world with most of these developers as well? I started speaking to family and friends and saying, if I need to, if I need to do well in this market, we need to start pulling funds together, buying the properties and reselling to whatever organization so we don't lose out. Because with a lot of the faith group, what you have is they need to make a decision by, they're governed by, by trustees. So it takes a little bit of time for them to make a decision. So we might find a building, it might take them a week, two weeks, three weeks. And you know this, you're in property. One building can come come to the market now. Within a day, someone is literally exchanging it. So I was, I just, I then said to most of my friends and family, we need to start seeing an opportunity of investing together. And that was how we, that, that's the way we've been able to fund a lot of our development and even some of our acquisitions within the D1 sector as well. We pull funds together, investors get a return on investment within a period of time. And that's, that's what we fund, that's the way we've been funding most of our development as well. Interesting. And, you know, I also understand you've acquired some trophy assets. Um, Talk to me about those. So trophy asset, we've, we've been able to acquire a lot of cop buildings, bingo buildings, police stations, uh, NHS building, hospitals as well. Uh, and this is like trophy asset because this is not asset you you kind of see different people buy. Most people don't even want to buy asset like that. But we've seen an opportunity of changing uh, the old use. I believe in uh, adaptive reuse. I believe in looking at old buildings and bringing out the old and the new and changing what you have. Uh, our current, one of our current, uh, one of our current projects is, I know you're familiar with this one, which is in Dartford, was a police station, uh, a police station that was run down for years, locked, uh, nothing was going on there, derelict building, and also the, the magistrate court, and we're able to turn the police station into an ecosystem. So we, we, we look at different traffic and say, what can we do with this building? If it's a bingo building, what can we do? This is a building of community value and, uh, it's got so many history. So some of the court building police station, they've got so many history. They've got so many historical values to our community, even to uh, the Great Britain, because these are buildings that a lot of stuff has happened over the years. And so we kind of find a way of making sure we keep those buildings. So they, that's why we call them trophy assets. The trophy asset to us. Mm, and you mentioned the Dartford Magistrates Court and the police station, and you said ecosystem. So what have you converted those into? So I, my free wise is one is fate tribe, fate tribe and legacy. Uh, I'm very big on legacy because I, I, I believe so much that I, I just don't want to come to the world and people just know me as Sunny, uh, a real estate developer. It's not how much you make. It's more about what we give back to others. It's about what history we remember us for. It's not the millions I have in the account. It's not the properties I have. It's what I can give back to other people. How I can give something that people can remember, something that is unique. I never had the opportunity of having to work in an ecosystem. And when we bought that building, we thought about, we might turn this into residential and we'll go away, we sell. No one is going to remember this. This is, Kent is going to a massive, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff coming to Kent. And I thought, that foot to London is only on the train about 35 to 40 minutes. 
literally you can you can connect from the 18 to London, you can connect from uh Ashley Station to King's Cross within I think 17 minutes. So I thought this is a unique opportunity for us. Let's create an ecosystem here of businesses where people can thrive together. Nothing like that's been done in Kent, where different businesses can have that support network. We even call part of a mini a mini Silicon Valley where we're birthing a lot of tech ideas. Uh, and also we have we have different unicorn businesses that are coming into the ecosystem. And our plan is to see that they have a facility where they can try where they can all succeed together. So you don't need to go look for if you're into property, you've got you've got someone that you've got an architect in us. If you're into whatever field, you've got an accountant in us. You're into you need a, a branding expert, we've got a branding expert in us. In us as well, we've got we've got a baba. Wherever you need, we've got a cafe. So wherever you need in us, you you just have it in there. So that's what we build in Datford as a it's called a legacy center where everything around your business you have that ecosystem to help you succeed. And one of the things that we know within our community that is always a problem is our businesses fail within a period of time because there's no legacy around it. So for us, every business in-house has that undertone of legacy. How do I see my business scale? How do I see that I can succeed? We also have a, a, a program called the Business Development Program where we train, we mentor, we support, and we'll, we were also raising about a million pounds to incubate businesses as well, like a mini Dragons Den, where we're going to be helping business succeed. Uh, speaking to a few of my friends and, and investors to see how we can make that happen. And we're, also, we're very big on mentoring because we know that mentorship is really important to help the ecosystem to succeed. So every business in house, we have access to mentorship and mentoring. And that, that, that's pretty much what we have in that. Part. I love that. It's definitely an ecosystem. And I think, so maybe something that us property investors and developers are are guilty of is just seeing things as property, you know, right, this is bricks and mortar. What can we convert it to? What can we do with it? Resi, resi, resi. Whereas actually forgetting, and maybe Corona makes us forget this even more, like that, you know, these buildings are community focused and there are communities and there will be communities forever. And, you know, having something like that and thinking of that is what puts us ahead and classes us differently to other developers. And so, yeah, I love that you've done something different and seen something that, you know, maybe was more of a risk, you know, maybe converting it to six flats would have been easy and, you know, it would have sold and, but you did something different. So I really like that. Now let's look at a case study, perhaps maybe if you take us through, you know, one of your deals, so we can kind of see the figures so people can understand what it looks like, you know, on the kind of, yeah, the bottom line of it, I suppose. Uh, it, it depends on the different deals. I, I give an example of what we have even uh, at the Legacy Center, for example. That that was a building we bought for about 1.2 million. And literally, we were able to add value to that building. We uh, uh, Development cost in time of refurbishing is about 1.1 million. And when the valuation of that building was done, it came up about three million pounds, uh, and we still have the court, the courthouse that we're turning to uh, the co-living uh, concept. So, in total, if you look within two years, we're sitting on we're sitting on equity of about two point seven million. So, which is which within two years we've been able to raise, we've been able to we have over two point seven pounds, two point seven million pounds in equity. Wow! And you know, is that kind of a norm? the kind of deals you're doing or is that like an extra special one 
it's it's that's the way every deal we have. We always look at how do we add value. It's always is always about value. Okay, what can we do? Every deal by deal, I, I can give a different deal. I can give you even on our residential. I can give you stuff on even refurbishment stuff about in Chatham in Kent. Different development deals. If you look at every deal, there must be a minimum of a profit margin of about thirty-five to forty percent because we need to pay back investors. So there must be what, what's that value we're adding to this deal? What's that thing that will change this deal to be profitable? So every deal, I look at deals and say the more at least we must be able to make about thirty percent profit on the deal. Okay, and so you know, with these kind of deals, obviously you've been doing it for a while now, so you know you are going to be able to find deals that others are not. But you know, any advice for people who are new, perhaps, uh, or even not people, may say people who are new, but people who want to transition to this kind of um, you know level? Any tips on finding deals? What I always say to everyone when it comes to finding deals, deals are everywhere. I give a good example when I went into, when I started the consultants and stuff, for example, I didn't know about, I didn't have a clue of, of like warehouses can be turned into a place of worship, bingo buildings, what we're doing now. All you just have to do is take, take your time to look out, look out for buildings. How can I, what can I do? What can I, what sort of value can I add to this building? If I am so much in space optimization, and that's why even a legacy center, for example, as much as there's a legacy center where we, we, we helping others, we've also been able to optimize the space. Imagine a cell being turned into an office, a cell being turned into a barbershop. If you look at what we've done there, that space is money. We've got about nine, nine, uh, prison cells that's been turned into offices, and that's generating income. That on, if, if, in terms of value, there's a lot that, that is in terms of value. An old building that was derelict, abandoned, that no one looked at as an opportunity, we've been able to create and add value to that. And we have in-house about maybe 25 office spaces, which wasn't going to be like that, which no one saw that. A lot of even developers that looked at that building because we the process of winning that, we had about 27 developers. They never they only saw residential. We saw something different. We saw an opportunity of, of space optimization. How do we add value to the space? So when you say a building, everything that comes around you is, how can I add value to this? A lot of time, even from a lot of our development, a lot of deals we've done, people tell me, you're not gonna, are you going to make money from this? As it's going to be profitable, and I say to them, "Don't worry." I'm very we 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 as a team. I'm 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 blessed having the kind of team I have. We're very young. We're entrepreneur. We we see stuff. We're creative. We look at what can we do different with every building. Every building has a different uh, as as a different thing you want to see in it. So when you're looking at a building, look at the opportunity. Spot the opportunity. From a small one bedroom, I've turned one bedroom to two bedroom. I've turned two bedroom to four bedrooms. What can I do? I can look at a building now, look at the floor plan and decide, can I take away this massive kitchen? Can this kitchen be turned into, uh, can this kitchen be turned into a room? Can this bathroom be turned into? So what you want to look at is what can I do to add value to that building? If it's not, if you can add value to it, find the next building. And what you always have is there's the loads of building. Every day, I still I come across buildings myself. There's no better way for 
any upcoming developer or someone that's trying to go into property, look out for opportunities. You can speak to the owners, the different ways of reaching out to those people. There's, there's no, there's no magic around it. You just need to keep trying. I tried for a long time before I was able to kind of get into where I am today. And I'm still trying. And from there, you then start to build your credibility as well. So from your first deal, people see what you've done, then to the second deal, then to the third deal. Mm. I like that. I think there's a there's a sort of consistent theme throughout what you do of yeah finding something different and adding value. And you know, to be up against twenty six other developers who you know are probably going to be offering asking or above, or that you know they're going to have strong offers. Some of them are to then be able to trump them. You know, I suppose says a lot for the ability to see something different. Um, you know. For people who are starting out, you know, I hope they're inspired by your journey because how long ago were you working in McDonald's? Oh, McDonald's is like, <laughs> that's a long time ago. That's probably 18 years ago. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And I think people also should hear that, right? Because it's easy to look at, you know, social media and people who say, oh, I was working in McDonald's three months ago and now I'm a millionaire and it's like no you're not you're lying um so you know what I mean it's important for people to see that look damn look what you've done but also look these things take time you know um but you look at where you are and how long you've been doing it and numbers and you say well you know if you're willing to put in the work and put in the time you know you can kind of end up doing the kind of things you're doing um and so you know what is sort of on the horizon, what are you doing next um, with the development business or with the kind of um, faith business? So we've got something uh, in Camden, which is similar to Datford as well, uh, the Camden. And that's another thing about uh, about adding value to buildings. Uh, we've got this building that used to be uh, a bar and a pub. And wh- when I saw the building, it was really run down. Not run down because it was still operational, but I, I saw an opportunity with that building to see that what what is what is that unique thing we can do with this building? A former pub, bar, looking nice and trendy, very popular one. And I thought, let's be creative with this. The the bed and breakfast we can turn this to uh, a bed. We can upgrade this, create create bigger space. Make sure there's a not there wasn't no there wasn't no toilet or bath in those bed and breakfast. We turn those bed and breakfast into creating uh creating a toilet, creating a mini kitchen where people can use and all that. So now we're going to be opening soon uh, on the ground floor. We're turning the ground floor into, we're still going to have a, a pub, a bar. We're going to have a podcast space. We're also going to have a, a creative space for creative people. We're going to have a cloud kitchen, a dark kitchen in that space. And we're also going to have a, a, a restaurant and bar as well, just to still keep the pub. But the long-term plan of that space it's that space is going to be a community hub, a music hub. It's going to be a music hub and academy. And we're also going to have a tech hub as well. That's the long-term plan of what we intend to do. That's the phase two of that project. Another project also is uh, the one I said to you about, the, the car park. The car park will turn it into for the free residential development. And uh, in, in, in that for in Kent, we've got, we've got quite a number of... Uh, uh, unique opportunities. People have seen what we've done in with that with the, with the police station and courthouse, and we're getting a lot of opportunities. We're getting a lot of JVs. We're getting a lot of deals that people train to us, and there's a lot of stuff coming through. We have we have a lot of opportunities. That that's that's definitely we're very busy with opportunity with a lot of opportunities. 
Amazing. And, you know, with a lot of the, the projects you're doing, am I right in saying that you you need to get planning permission for everything you're doing? Uh, some of them you need to, some we don't need to. Like some of the place of worship, if it's got a D1 already, you don't need you don't need to apply for a change of use. If we, if uh, some of the offices were turned into residential, some can also come from the new uh, uh, classes. Uh, I'm also, we always would look at every opportunity and look at the planning, uh, uh, the planning game. We have, we have a massive team of, uh, of great architects and great planners that would always look at different views and advisors of the opportunity. And there's something, uh, there's something also that I probably didn't mention also is even with the D1, some of those buildings, nursery, for example, some of those buildings are, are being used into nurseries. And so they, there's always that opportunity of if this planning game wouldn't work, we can always change it. So there's always, there's always a way to kind of benefit from, from different planning games. And how have you found, I think most people, you know, don't have the most positive, or easy view of working with planning. Now you're obviously doing some big, funky, different, unique stuff. How have you found working with, you know, the council and their planners when it comes to what you're doing? Is it sort of as difficult as generally most people find it or because you're doing something different, are they a little bit easier? I would say that the best thing to do with a council is relationship is look out for the, if you're any, any borough we go to, either for planning, we always make sure who's the best planner around this area, who's the best architect that understand the planning, uh, the planning department, because there is a language with the planners and you need to understand that. Once you're able to understand that, identify the best of the best architect, like majority of our stuff in, in South London, there is, uh, my architect in South London is called, uh, Alan Camp. Alan Camp has been around Sodok for over 30 something years. He knows the in and out of Sodok. I would go to a planner that understand an architect and plan to understand that system. You understand the language. So I wouldn't need to then start struggling, bringing someone who doesn't understand the planning system in that space. Otherwise I'm bringing someone foreign that would all go back, go back and forth. And there's always going to be that struggle. Then also make sure you, you look out for planners or architects that have done similar stuff. Look at the track record. My, my architect, for example, most of my architects that I use, their, their track record is, is, is just phenomenal. It's just great. Someone like Alan Camp has got 98, uh, 98% approval on most of his, uh, application. Uh, I can mention different names. My, my planner, Brian, Brian has been a planner for 35 years. He understands the planning system in the UK. So you look out for the best. The wealth of experience is very important. We young people always make sure you look out for those people that have been there that understand it. And they really, one unique thing about most of these guys when I, that we use is they see that we, we have a different approach and we come up with this approach. Like the police station, they wouldn't think when I said to them about turning the police station into a, a, an office building, that's, I don't want a residential. This is what I want to do. And I can see the numbers. The numbers make sense, but this is what we really want. They'll tell you, you might get this, you might not get this. Just always make sure wherever area you go to, find some of the local architects and local planners that understand the planning system. Yeah, great advice. And, you know, obviously with good experience and good people in your team, they potentially are going to cost more than other power team people. But 
you know, you kind of, you're getting what you pay for, you know, someone with 35 years experience is going to cost more than someone with two years experience and a 60% success rate. And I think, again, you know, we're always trying to save money and, and be efficient with cost. But, you know, if you want the thing to, to get through and you want it to be as easy as possible, and sometimes paying more, you know, for the right person is just sort of what you have to do. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, obviously you've had, you know, an interesting journey before property and in property, you know, what would you say are perhaps the kind of biggest mistakes that you've made in this journey so that people can learn from? Wow. I think part of every failure is a learning coffee. And for me, I, I think it's probably one would probably be not, uh, not taking my time to really, I missed out on a very, very good opportunity because I was I was very naive and I just started and I didn't take my time to understand what I needed to do. And that was where I said to you about the planners uh, using the best of the best and taking advantage of that. So I lost out on a very, very, very lucrative deal that I shouldn't have because of my naive, uh, me being naive about, around that. Hmm. And I think, I suppose that's normal, right? When you're kind of starting out, like, to kind of have those experiences and like you said you learn from it and so you know yeah I, I think that makes sense um now is there a bit of technology or a resource or a platform or app that you cannot live without in your business ah we use a lot we use uh we use pro map we use different different app we're very technology driven and uh uh, I know there's a new one that we're just there using again. The, the, the challenge around as property developers is you, you get new stuff coming in every time and you, you're trying to adapt to the new, to, to those new systems. And you can't, what I normally would, what I probably would say I'm very used to that as, as work for us. Uh, I know we do a lot with, uh, we do a lot of stuff with, uh, there's a, there's a current app we use now, which I've just, we just signed on that. And my, I remember, uh, my, my colleague mentioning this to me about, it's an application. Is, is this an app for property or just any, app? anything? Uh, anything I probably can't leave it. It's, uh, I've probably mentioned that, which is really big for me. It's my fate. And I think something I can never leave without is my Bible. That's one thing I wouldn't, I can't leave without. Okay, no, I love that. And um, if you could have dinner with any three people, <laughs> dead or alive, um, who would it be and what would you eat? I think there's a guy that changed my life. He's dead now, but he's so powerful. Uh, his name is called Miles Morrow. He taught me about poppers. A lot of the stuff I'm doing today, I don't think I would ever know or understand it as much as I did without coming uh, into, without knowing him. He's from the Bahamas. Is Miles M Y L E S M U N R O E. He's really big on poppers, and he taught me so 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 much around poppers. So if there's one person that I would always remember, I would would really want to sit down with would be Miles Morrow. And uh, today, someone leaving that I probably like uh, it's that person, maybe Barack Obama. I like what he's done. Been able to. Been able to achieve that big stuff uh, in America, but I could be someone I probably would want to sit down and have, yeah. And also, yeah, maybe the Queen. I love the Queen. Maybe one day I can be the Queen. 
<laughs> what an interesting uh, combination that would be. And what would you eat? Oh, trust me, I love my African food. I'll teach them how to eat African food. <laughs> I'll teach them my jello fries and my. I'll teach them African meal. Man, the the, the spice and flavour might blow the queen's head off, but you might have to. That's it. That's it. You might have to give her the the mild version. Isn't it? I won't make it spicy. It won't be spicy, don't worry. <laughs> um, another uh, question. Is there something that people misunderstand about you? Mm, interesting question. Mm. These, these are the curveballs. We're also always chucking a few curveballs. Listen, I can't even answer some of these myself. So I'm really putting people on the spot when I answer these. Now, I think I, the, the answer to that would be People just think you've you've come from the space or you've come from nowhere. And they don't like what you said about the journey of McDonald's. This were pain. This were I still have on my I still have scars that remind me of my days in McDonald's where I was learning on the grill and those scars are still there forever. And always remembering where the journey came from. The journey didn't start from what people see now. A lot of time, especially in the world we live in now with social media. People just, it's its a bubble and people need to kind of understand that you might see Sammy doing this, but Sammy has, Sammy has paid the price to be able to get to that place he is, is currently in now. And you don't really need to see that as why well. this. So it's always that misconception of people thinking as property developers or uh, they're, show, they're showing off or they're doing stuff just for the sake of it. But a lot of the stuff you're trying to do is changing people's mindset you can achieve this. So if you see me doing something, I'm not doing it because I just want to show off. I'm trying to do this for that brother that needs to understand you can make it. I've come from nothing. You can achieve this. You don't need to go to the the, the negative path. You can achieve success with this. You just need to change your mindset. So it's what I said to you at the start, as a man think it. So when people see, they might not really understand what, I'm trying to showcase the man of you. And I, I get a lot of people not also understanding the fact of something that I'm very, I can't live without is my faith. That's helped me. So when people see, I talk about faith, oh, yeah, we'll go again. I just can't either because you either know, you either believe in something or you don't believe. So it's, I believe in something that's worked for me. So you either accept me for what I believe in, you either accept me for my faith. I don't show my faith at you, but I let you know that, this is what I leave. This is what I represent. My faith, my tribe, and my legacy. So those are the three things. So you either just accept me for what, what my values are and what my wives are. No, I love that. I love that. Uh, cool. Well, this brings us to the end of the podcast, Andy. Now, is there any message or anything you want to leave the listeners with? I think it's simple. You can be whoever you want to be in life. If you work at, put your mind into it. And just get the right support system. It's always about support and networking. It's always about looking out for what can I learn. I've learned. I always when I see your your brand and the yellow stuff, I've learned. So I've learned a lot from 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 you, Estate. There's a lot I learn every day from people. I learn. Just see that you look out for people that you want to learn from and reach out to them. I I still have a lot of mentors as I am. I still listen to listen to podcasts. I listen to stuff that I can I can learn from. So it's always important to see that. You, you 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 still put value into the stuff and read books. I mentioned to you about the book that changed my life, Rich That Poor That. Read books that can help you on a journey. Books are very important. Books are things that someone's life, they put that into a book for you to 
for you not to make those mistakes. So it might be 40 years of someone's life. You, you read it. There's so many books that I can say to you that's really changed a lot for me. The journey of where I am today, I'm a big believer in reading books. Books change you. Readers are leaders. So very important. And yeah, that's pretty much my, my, my advice. I love it. Tanmi, thanks so much for coming on TED Talks podcast. I really appreciate it. Ted, I so much appreciate this. And if you're a listener also, we would need a, a free office space. We've got office space that we're giving out in Datford. We have an incubator as well where we incubate incubating businesses. So it would be nice if people that are trying to find ways of uh, post-COVID, you're trying to start something new. That's that's the place you really want to be in. So thank you so much, Ted. Amazing. I will put your contact details in the podcast below so people can contact you. Thank you so much, Ted. I appreciate this so much. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.